Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation, the podcast to support your spiritual revolution. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Dr. Binyamin Klemper. Dr. Klempner likes to say there is no misfortune, only fortune misunderstood. To release grief and pain, he began experimenting with yoga, meditation, and sound healing using instruments such as gongs, chimes, and bells to, re to relieve his pain. He also found that sounds fostered peace, love, friendship, and harmony within prison walls, as well as emotional healing into the hearts of inmates. Because of the powerful effects he witnessed, he has created the therapeutic method of Harmonic Effect Regulation Protocol, or HARP. I just love this connection with Dr. Benjamin Klempner. He really just radiates such positivity. He cares so deeply about healing himself, his family, and whoever he can reach. He takes us through his fascinating story of how he discovered the healing benefits of sound, even though he's not a trained musician. It really is beautiful how humanity is discovering more and more that there's medicine within things that have been right in front of us, such as music. I mean, if you step back and think about it, we have such an opportunity with low-hanging fruit like this, like music, that can really help us shift our mind-body-spirit complex. We can have a tendency to feel that things have to be really complicated and official if they're going to work, quote-unquote. So I challenge you to really feel into your own beliefs and see if you're willing to open yourself up to simple things like the healing potential of sound. Be sure to check out Binyamin's work at theharpmethod.com. And let's get into that just as soon as we talk about Viore shampoo bars. I've been using Viore shampoo and conditioner bars for almost a couple of years now. And the main reason that I became curious about shampoo bars was an effort to cut down as much as I can on unnecessary household plastic waste. And also in that process, I learned about how extra water goes into processing traditional shampoo that can be avoided with shampoo bars. So this really is such a more eco-friendly option and we can all feel good about the steps that we take towards being good stewards of the planet. I also love that Viore supports the indigenous tribal people of Longshen. I've found that not only is Viore doing great things to help the environment and humanity, the products are really amazing. I love the way my hair looks, feels, and smells. Their products are gentle and help to volumize and strengthen hair and even encourage regrowth. The bars are beautifully designed and even the minimal packaging is unique and gorgeous. It takes a little bit of getting used to using a bar when you're used to using traditional shampoo, but I actually like that acclimation process too. I like giving my brain something new to figure out and it really didn't take very long anyway to get the hang of it. So branch out, try shampoo bars, Go for the best, Viore. Feel great about your purchasing power and look great on top of all of that. Check out my sponsor's link in the show notes and use code Kara, K-A-R-A, for 10% off your order. And now enjoy this episode. So welcome, Dr. Klempner. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me here. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's start with a little bit about your journey and what led you to yoga meditation and sound healing. Well, every time I tell the story, I tell it differently. It depends on the 
in time of day and mood. But it really starts when I was six years old and a few things happened. My parents took me to the Nutcracker and the sounds of Tchaikovsky really just did something to me. They were healing. And I, wow, this is what I need just as a boy, as a six-year-old. Wow. Wow. Tchaikovsky, this, there's something, I have a healing. And I was sick, so my mind wasn't developed enough, obviously, to understand it. But I knew, wow, this is something my soul needs. There's coming home here. The sound, it was a coming home. Okay. Also, when I was six, my parents took me to a rally against nuclear arms in New York City Central Park. And before that, I just lived in the sort of idyllic world of a six-year-old. I had a pretty good childhood, really no complaints. So I lived in this idyllic world of, as, as children should live in, right? And first of all, it was a lot of fun. I had a blast. But after that Sunday afternoon, I was no longer living in an idyllic world. I was living in a world that could end at any moment. By... Well, it's interesting that you chose to say that you had a blast at a nuclear well, arms rally. Well, noted. Right, right. I guess it was a Freudian. Yeah, right. But, but it was a lot of fun because people were, were out there and had signs and protest signs are so artistic many of them they're really an art form in and of themselves there there should be a museum of just protest signs picket yeah. signs, <laughs> protest signs. There's, some of them are so creative and so mm -hmm. brilliant and ingenious that there people should collect them and somebody should make a museum out of protest signs. <laughs> no. i love that idea that's awesome my world changed because after that, because as much fun as the rally was, when I got home, it began sinking in that, whoa, like, what was this rally about? Yes, it was fun, but what was it about? It was about this concept that the world could end at any moment because of some men in some office, in some places in the world that don't know me and maybe don't care about me. For me, even though I was only six, it was really a turning point. And it was, it really, it indicated in my mind and soul, heart, that something needed to give, something needed to change. And then a few years went by and I can't say my parents are, are really so into music, but my mom, when I was 11, uh, she started getting me into the Beatles and into the Who. And from there, I got into Jefferson Airplane and the song, What's It Called? But anyway, it, it was, the, the, these are songs, well, I, this music spoke a message that I needed to hear, especially Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Linda Ronstadt, Bob Dylan, obviously, and Simon and Garfunkel. So these sounds were sounds that I needed. Then I got into The Grateful Dead. And the Grateful Dead has just a lot of just a cosmic sounds. But what I really enjoyed about the Grateful Dead was the drumming. It was really their percussionist, Mickey Hart, and their drummer, Bill Kreitzman. And they would 
essentially make a drum circle and use all sorts of rhythm and beat and percussion sounds to create something that that was just amazing. And a few things I noted, and I wrote a lot about this in my doctoral dissertation, that when I was at dead shows on psychedelic substances or even on cannabis, and I was, and I went totally in a sober state, it made very little difference. It made very little difference because the sound, the beats, the rhythms, once you get into them and you start moving your body and you're moving your body in sync with the frequencies and the vibrations. And so it's not really you're moving your body. That just occurred to me just now. You're not moving your body. The sounds are moving your body. You are just allowing your body. You're giving your body permission to move with the sounds, with the frequencies, with the rhythms. And then, of course, it's not just your, your body that's moving, meaning like your arms and legs, right? It's your cells that are dancing also, your molecules, and even down to the atomic level, your protons and neutrons are, are insane. Vibrating with the and yeah. Yeah, vibrating and flowing in sync with the rhythm. And there was a real healing that would occur. And I didn't quite get it until years later. Like just now skipping like 30 years, I have a son who has paranoid schizophrenia. And I got it in my mind that I'm going to experiment with sound. Because we were trying all sorts of things like tinted glasses with certain types of tints and different strains of cannabis and just whatever we could think of, we were trying to help him. And I got it in my mind, well, I'm going to order from Amazon a steel tongue drum because they're very melodic and very easy to play. And I'm not a musician and I don't know how to read music and I'm not going to learn an instrument that takes a long time to learn when I need something that I can learn in five minutes so that I can help him right away. So I got this steel tongue drum and started playing it and it really calmed me down because it was nerve wracking having a child in the house who is suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. And then I have younger children and who are afraid. And it was really in a very unenviable dynamic. And I just felt so mindful just with one knock on this steel tongue drum. It was like instant meditation, just it brought me to a state just almost instantaneously where I could relax. I could focus my mind. I could feel respite even in a storm of craziness, chaos. And it around the same time, I had gone to University of Montana in Missoula. And while I was there, spent a lot of time with on, on the Blackfeet Indian Nation and wanted to reconnect to that time in my life. And I wasn't sure how to do it, but I figured no, I'll do it through sound. There are certain sounds, the sounds of the native flute, the sound of the native drum. In the West, they call it the shamanic drum, right? but it's a native drum. And that just brought me to a place where I needed to be, even though that's not the geographic place I was in. 
but it brought me, yes, a meditative place, but a very geographic meditative place that was very different from the geographic place I was in. So it was like, it, it just, it traveled me. It just, it relocated me, brought me meditation in the place where those sounds originate, which is the place I needed to be. From there, just fell in love with the native flute and started purchasing them. My wife would say, promise me, you're not going to buy another flute, right? And I'd say, promise. And then I would end up getting, so it was an addiction because it's an addiction, but, but this, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't get it like another one that size. I got a small one. It has, a, it's totally different. It's much higher. Right. They're all different. Yes. Yeah. Right. And from there, I, I started experimenting with some other instruments and I really didn't have much knowledge of the gong. I started experimenting with chimes and many different types of chimes, Koshi chimes, and each chime really brings you, gives you, so it gives you, it offers you a different meditative experience. When, when you play the Koshi chime, it, it, it encompasses you in a meditative state. And so does a Sofagio chime, but it's a very different meditative state that you're encompassed by. I do yoga every day and I do put pranayama every day, but the, the pranayama and the, the yoga, the, the asanas is very different from the meditation of the, of the sound of just the rhythmic movement of just sounding a gong. And mm -hmm. so I was missing this one component, which was the gong. So I got a 19 inch gong. It's a small gong. A, a wind gong, a, a Wuhan wind gong. And, and it's lovely. It's a lovely instrument. It really is. But if this is a wind gong that's 19 inches. Wow. What must a chow gong that's 22 inches sound like? So I got a 22 inch chow gong, but also a, a Wuhan gong. And then I thought, wow, if this is what a Chinese gong sounds like. Hmm. wonder what, a, what an Italian Grata Sonora gang sounds like. And not just sound, but I wonder what the meditative experience feel. is like. Yeah. I wonder what yeah. the vibrations feel like as they leave the gong that this big metal disc can't enter those sonic mm -hmm. vibrations, enter the body and how that feels. Well, that's one of the things that comes to me as I'm listening to you, even going back to the Grateful Dead experience where you were saying through that movement and through the music and whether you were on psychedelics or not, the experience is the same. And what I keep hearing as you're, as you're talking about the different instruments and the, the flutes and, the, and being transported through music to the Blackfeet Indian Reservation, it's that there are pathways that open up within us. And we all have these different pathways and they respond to sound. They respond sometimes to substances. They respond to meditation, to breath work there. And they're within us. And as standard, especially for us older people, maybe with younger people, they they come in more open. But once they are opened and we can open them in that way, then when we come back to that 
practice that opened them. It's like our consciousness knows like, okay, here's this pathway and it's already opened. And so we can like transport from a consciousness, like multi, multi multi-layered, much happening beyond our conscious awareness. But the capability of these pathways to not only open up, but then to be utilized to transport us or to to connect us to higher frequencies, to help us stay in higher frequencies, to dissolve things and clear things out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really amazing and powerful. And I just kept seeing like pathways as you were talking about this and, and like almost like portals. Yeah. Um, There's a concept in Jewish mysticism, and I believe that it's in all the mystic traditions, the Hindu traditions, the Buddhist traditions, the, the Islamic traditions, the Christian traditions. It, it, it transcends all traditions. It's mainly in, in the mystical and the mystical uh, realm of the traditions. And that is that we each have a song. We each have our own inner song. And true healing comes about when we are able to hear and give voice to that inner song, which is inside of us. Modern science is really starting to align itself with ancient spiritual mysticism. That we're, our nervous system has a sound. And our, a big part of Nada Yoga, Nada Yoga, is listening. Yes, listening to outside, in, outside songs. The gong, certainly playing the gong is a very valid form of Nada Yoga. But a much higher form of Nada Yoga is when we sort of graduate. And I think that's the appropriate word. When we graduate from using outside instruments, and are able to just listen to that inner sound. And of course, even within that, there's levels of graduation, right? There's listening right. to, you know, that gross hmm, humming sound that we sometimes hear in our right ear, especially when it's really quiet, right? And, you know, for, when you're just graduating off of a gong, so that's not at all a gross sound. That's a very subtle sound. Then there's again, graduating from that, where that itself becomes a gross sound, right? To a yeah. more subtle sound within that Yes, sound. refined, yes, refined. layers oh, and like, where you're listening within. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about as I've been in different mystical states and the layers of sound. It's like just you can tune in based on like where you're listening, where is my attention inside Inside, and it changes what you're hearing. And I'm doing quotes with my fingers because it's, it is a a listening, it's a hearing, it's a sound, but it's from inside. And for me, that can even start to sound like language. That's too fast for me to even like, I can't Mm. comprehend it. I can't tell if it's snippets of English or a language that I don't speak, or even yeah. non-earthly language or whatever. But, yeah. and it's, it's funny because it's like, I know I can either listen to it and just absorb it, just get it, just hear it and not understand it, but just to experience it. Or I can turn on the part of my brain that can try to understand it. And then I can't hear it anymore. <laughs> wow. It's really yeah. Fascinating. It's like I can either have the experience or I can get my cognitive brain 
involved, but I cannot do both. That's really And so that's why I can't tell if it's English, snippets of English or other languages or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, it's really interesting that you say that because it's beyond understanding that not every yeah. question needs an answer. And yes. it's, it's just letting go of the answers, letting go of that need to understand because that need to understand, it's really the need to control. I think in our Western culture, we have a real strong need to control and part of control is understanding. Whereas I believe in a lot of Eastern cultures, and I live in the Middle East, so I think even in the, in the Middle East, there's culturally hard science is studied, but it's not the be-all, end-all. It's this, mm. at a certain point, we do what we can to understand hard sciences, and then we let go. We just accept that yeah. most everything we're not going to understand. I think a big part of meditation is, is that letting go that letting go of the need to understand, the need to understand ourselves, the need to make sense of ourselves, of our spouses, of our children, of our situations, of our parents, of our siblings, of our aunts and uncles, yeah. and friends and colleagues, and just say they are, yeah. they are, and they are. I love that. And I am. That surrender, yes. Yeah, the well, surrender yes. and just the allowance. I love that because it is allowance. so often it's like we want to understand. It's almost like the punctuation mark on an experience when we can say it and then cognitively get some meaning underneath it. And the further along I go or the more experiences I have, the more there's this underlying understanding of my conscious mind. There is so much going on that my conscious mind can't, I can't mentally contain it. And that's okay. I know that there's in intelligence coming in. There's a, there's intelligence being received, but it's not the mental intelligence or mental communication. Yep. It will just become a part of me and then very subtly integrate and become a part of me in a way that it's not like, oh, yesterday I didn't know this. And then I listened to these sounds and felt these experiences. And then now I can do this, or now I understand this. So it's not so black and white. It's no. just a, like a layered and gradual and so much beyond the mental acuity. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. It, it's beyond the mental acuity and just, that's part of the adventure also that it's beyond the mental acuity. If, if it was within the mental acuity, yeah. it wouldn't be an adventure. It wouldn't be much of a journey, right? right? It would, right? It would be, where does yeah. the adventure start? Where does the journey start? It starts on the other side of the fence. That mental yeah. acuity that you mentioned, that's the fence, right? And when oh, we- I love that. Yeah. When we step beyond that fence, that's when the adventure begins. But in order to do that, we have to really be okay with not knowing. Just giving up yeah. our grounds on not knowing. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing about the gong that I really like, that even with, say, a tuning fork, okay, it's tuned to a certain frequency and it might sound very nice. I enjoy listening to the sound of a tuning fork or my sulfagio chimes. If I get a sulfagio chime, I know exactly the frequency it's going to make. Depending on the mallet, I know exactly how it's going to sound, more or less, especially a tuning fork. Mm -hmm. If you hit a tuning fork, you really know exactly the sound it's going to make. 
Yeah. If you play the, the gong, you hit the gong, it's literally never going to make the same sound twice. Oh, you wow. never know what sound it's going to make. And if you hit it in one spot and then you hit it in another spot, it's not like, let's say, uh, say a piano, okay? Mm-hmm. A piano. If you hit, if you play one key and then you play at a certain interval, another key, and then you hit another key, you know what the outcome is going to be of all three keys being played during that time in that intro. That's how music gets written. And we know, you know that if you play a piece of Bach, it's going to sound consistently like Bach, right? Yeah. So you have like a musician like Yo-Yo Ma who really allows the music to, to run through him, right? So Yo-Yo Ma is really maybe stepping out of the way. He's stepping out of the way. And Bach is really being, he's really an empty conduit, right? That, or like Joshua Bell, right? Mm-hmm. He's just like an empty conduit for the music, right? And that's what makes them so great is that not only are they great musicians, but they've transcended that musicianship to just being mm-hmm. empty vessels yeah. that are able to just allow, but at a certain point, Joshua Bell is no longer Joshua Bell. He's Juan Sebastian Bach. And same with Yo-Yo Ma, right? And many others, but they're just the two that are coming to mind. And it's also different because they went to the best academies, the best training. Uh, yeah. yeah, the best training. My my three-year-old plays the gong so lovely. Just the one rule. Don't hit it too hard because then it's not going to make a nice. But that's mm-hmm. the one rule. And don't touch it with your hand. And no matter where you hit it, it's going to sound differently every time you play it. You have an idea mm-hmm. based on the mallet of where you're trying to go. But it becomes like strategic improvisation. And it's really about just letting go and like releasing the sound. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that how it's received as well, because I've had experiences with people where somebody's playing a gong and there's a room full of people. And for some people, it's like they, I remember one of my friends like almost had to leave, felt so anxious and she's experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing and I'm feeling a cleansing. And for her, probably was cleansing, but it was just an unfamiliar feeling of like things are rising and I don't know what to do with that. And there's, it's difficult to release it just because she doesn't really know what to do with it, but she can just feel this response. But it's this, this, this alchemy that happens that is individual. You know? Well, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I was just reading this morning about Tibetan medicine. And it's really interesting because as I was listening to you tell that story, mm-hmm. I was just wondering about the facilitator of that gang bath mm-hmm. and what their intentions were, what mallets they were using, what was their state of compassion for the people they were playing for? How tuned in was that person who was playing? And I'm, I'm not being accusatory. I'm, at least I'm not trying to. I'm mm-hmm. just like just scientifically as a practitioner, just pondering where they were when they were playing. What state were they in? Mm-hmm. How aware were they of the people they were playing for? What I was reading this morning about Tibetan, uh, Tibetan medicine just really struck a bell. It said the premise 
of Tibetan medicine, and really all medicine, is compassion. That the practitioner needs to be compassionate, ha have compassion for the, the patient. And if there's no mm -hmm. compassion, there can be no medicine. And where there's great oh, compassion, okay. there's great medicine. It really doesn't matter how much experience, in a sense, the practitioner has, what really matters in that way. And yes, it does matter. Obviously, it does matter. But what matters even more is the degree of compassion. Obviously, the practitioner needs to know the, the skills of the trade they're applying. Otherwise, they're going to do harm. But once they have those skills, I think what, and based on what this article about Tibetan medicine was saying, once the practitioner has solid skills, the most important thing at that point becomes the, the degree of compassion they're able to have for the person they are treating. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's all connected, right? Yeah. It's every person that was there lying, receiving, yeah. the practitioner, the everything. The gong itself, yeah, as you say, sure. what different size the gong is and how often it was a pretty intense, like one ring after another after when it builds and builds. So that can lead to a pretty intense experience. Oh, very. But it's so interesting. I was, I was playing the gong for a group of teenage girls who are at risk, just acting out behaviors, acting out with drugs, with sex, whichever way they could think of acting out. But it's coming from pain. The, the, their school invited me to come and play for them. And the principal was sure that these girls were going to walk out after about two minutes. It wasn't going to be for them. And they all stayed. Actually, that's not true. A few girls left because, again, it, was, it just got to be too emotionally charged, the mm -hmm. sounds. But then came, And this is just came, with the gong? This is just the gong. But then uh -huh. after I finished playing and we were processing, those girls who left came back Ooh. to process. And the principal of the school was just blown away. Like, it doesn't happen. These girls don't do that. It's not cool. Like, it's happening. <laughs> well, anyway. So the second time that they invited me back, I sort of, I, 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 before I began playing, I said, listen, if any of you want to walk out at any time, just Please, like, don't feel like you need to stay. Just, you know, walk out. Mm -hmm. And one of the girls who was like the, the, like the spokesperson for the group, like they, they all looked up there. She said, well, mm -hmm. why would we want to leave? And I said, well, I understand that last time she left, it was very, the sound of the gong can be very emotionally provocative and demanding and challenging. You know, it, it can be a rough sound. And I said, and, and it might bring up memories and images that are hard to recall and to sit with. And this girl said to me, and what's wrong with having to sit with pain? Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Oh, just wow. knocked me off my feet. It was so good to hear that. And I think that's what the gong does. It allows us to sit, to be comfortably with our pain and in, in a space and with a sound that is yet comfortable. So I was doing a gong session once for, for a fellow who was in a tank, a tank division of the army and he had a lot of trauma and 
the sound of the, the clanging. In German, they call it the gong. I believe they, they call it a, a clang, right? It, it's a clang. It's a metal clanging, right? Mm-hmm. And it was very reminiscent of the sound of being inside of a tank. But yet it wasn't oh. the sound of a tank. It was the sound of harmony and of beauty. So there's that very thin line, both metal sounds, both sounds of clanging metal, but one was the sound of of death. The other is the sound of life, beauty. And that's beautiful. Living in Israel, I really love doing work that brings Israelis and Arabs together. And another time I was playing for, for an Arab fellow. And he had been shot by a helicopter. And of course, the helicopter is, is full of sound, right? And the sound of that gong was very reminiscent to him. It, it brought him back to a place where he always tried to avoid the place, that internal memory of that helicopter ship coming in and firing its machine guns and it's the sound of the chopper. And yet a very similar sound, but a sound of healing, mm-hmm. a sound of wow. healing. And it, it really transcended boundaries because it was the, it was, it was, it's it just, well, what can I say? It was a very beautiful experience. And I have this theory that, so there's a, a psychiatrist that you might've heard of me, a very well-known Bessel van der Kolk from the Netherlands. And he's located in Boston and he has done a lot of wonderful work. And he wrote a famous book called The Body Keeps the Score. And Oh, yes. I do know that yeah. book. Okay, sure. Sure. It's a very well-known book. Mm-hmm. And so he's, what, what he wants to, to argue is that every cell of our bodies main, has a memory of the trauma, that whatever trauma we incur. And through working, specifically through yoga, asanas and and prana meditation that we're able to free those cells that are tense from the trauma. We're able to let them relax and and free them from their sort of enslavement that was caused by the trauma. I want to say something similar that every traumatic experience we incur, and the same is true of joyful experiences also, but every experience we incur, traumatic and also joyful, has retains its memory. Well, it it is associated with the sound. Almost everything has a sound associated with it. Mm. And something that's traumatic, so we retain that sound in our memory bank within our ear. And if something's Mm. joyful, we, we retain those sounds within our tympanic membranes, cellular memory bank. And well, it all goes together, right? Because it's all yeah. layered, all of our senses, because the same is with smell. We mm-hmm. all have that experience where we have a specific smell and suddenly we're launched back to our grandmother's kitchen yep. and we're four years old again. Yep. Or an obviously seeing something can trigger if it looks like something traumatic that we've experienced or something joyful, we immediately launch back into that memory, our personal memory. So it's we're so multi-layered and sound absolutely fits into that 
that layer too. And it's happening beyond our conscious awareness. So I'd love to know how all of this fits into your HARP method. Can you talk about the HARP method? Sure. Developed? Sure. So the HARP method is based on my experiences working with prisoners. And there, there is a, a park in Tel Aviv where all of the drug dealers hang out and the prostitutes and the Somalian refugees bring their families there. And that's bizarre because you'll have Somalian refugees having a picnic next to a few businessmen who got out of work and came to the park to get crack and they're, they're smoking their oh, crack. Wow. And then prostitutes who are walking around, but then you have like little kids playing on the seesaw. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And a friend of mine who also has a training in social work, he said to me one day, let's go to this park with some of your instruments, bring some Native American flutes, bring a gong, bring some Tibetan singing bowls and let's just have fun. Let's just do our thing at this park. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so we went and we spent a long time there. And a lot of the experience that I just got from there or in the prison, basically just using sound. And like I just said, we have all of these sound memories stored, not just in our mind, but also on the cellular level of our tympanic membrane. And again, this is just my theory. So it's not been mm -hmm. scientifically tested, but I've, I've seen the effect of it enough times to believe that it's a valid theory. And when we play certain sounds that are meditative and calming, relaxing and healing with compassion. So we allow the traumatic memories to arise, but in a way that's safe for the uh, client to hold mm. and to look at and to examine and not even to dismiss, but to integrate, to mm -hmm. become stronger people. Because what a shame to dismiss a traumatic memory. Like that trauma is there for us to grow. And so when we play these sounds, the client is able to really take memories that they might not have remembered for 20, 30 years and go to a better place in their own lives. Yeah. And, and not just remembering trauma also. Sometimes a client remembers something really positive. I had a client who was Somalian and he never recognized or remembered any happy memory of his childhood. He didn't think he had not one happy memory from his childhood. And I was playing the native flute and he had a memory of sitting in his grandmother's neighborhood and somebody nearby was playing the flute and it was a relaxing day and the sky was beautiful and clear and not too hot, not too cold, just a nice, comfortable day. And he must have been like eight years old, just lying on the grass, listening to the sound of this flute drift by. And my playing the flute brought him to that place, at which point we were able to process it. And I was able to ask him, well, if you had one good memory that you now remember, not having remembered any other memories, maybe there's another memory, another good memory that you can remember. And maybe... Even if there's not a lot of good memories, maybe there's enough that you can start stringing them together like a necklace, that you can start wearing this necklace wow. of good memories. And that for That's him was amazing. really, it was a turning point. 
I think for all of us, just good memories is really, good memories are important. We need them. And yeah. so, so often when I do my deep breathing pranayama, I, I just tap into those good memories of my childhood and adolescence and sometimes just playing the gong, playing the gong. Mm-hmm. Just is. So that's really what HARP is. HARP is a method to help people through sound, the sound of healing instruments, of ancient healing instruments, not just creating frequencies and making those frequencies into different sounds using a laptop, because we could do that, but using ancient instruments, the the gong and the Zen bells and the, uh, the Koshi chime. There's a beauty to these real authentic instruments that there's a craftsmanship and that craftsmanship, it all plays into it. Well, that's beautiful. So beautiful. Are there places where people who are listening now can go to hear some of your creations? Yeah, well, I, they, they can go to my YouTube channel and my YouTube channel is Sounds for the Soul 896. Okay. I just started a podcast, uh, which is called uh, uh, the, the Sound Therapy Podcast. And they can go there, the Sound Therapy Podcast. And they can go to theharpmethod.com. And theharpmethod.com is really specifically for therapists and coaches that want to receive training in this method. Through theharpmethod.com, I am also in the process of uh, launching a database where people will be able to find a therapist who can offer this method, can, can find a therapist who they relate with. Oh. oh, that's amazing. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for everything that you're doing to use sound to help people. And then just also the embodiment of who you are and what is shining through you. I personally have just really cherished this hour that you and I have had together. So there's clearly so much inner work that you've done over the course of your life that's just bringing in and radiating out such positivity and divinity. I really have enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much. Oh, I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your show. So yeah, yeah. Th- th- thank you so much, Kara. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to ask you for one quick favor, and that's to share this episode with one person who you think will benefit from it. Let them know you're thinking about them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation. 